So I was chatting with a fan. She calls herself Freddie for short, short for Frederica. And you probably don't know this about me, but I happen to be a huge fan of games, tabletop games, board games, all that sort of stuff. And Freddie, her and her mom, they make board games. What she didn't tell me was that her mom made Jenga. (laughs) How do you not tell someone that your mom, she's probably sick of hearing it, but her mom made Jenga. Point is, I don't usually plug people in this spot, but I kind of really wanted to because she has this game. It's called Ex Libris, the game of first lines and last words. And what it does is it takes hundreds of famous authors from Charles Dickens to Jane Austen. Your goal is to write fake but plausible first or last lines for these books. And then you have to lie your face off to your friends and convince them that the line that you wrote is actually from that book. If you like bluffing, (laughs) if you like storytelling, if you like games, it's kind of the perfect combination of those things. I think it's genius. It is literally what I'm going to be doing Christmas morning, which is why I negotiated for this little deal for you guys. You can get Ex Libris or any other game from Oxford Games that includes Jenga, that includes games like Anagram, which is a fast and furious wordplay game. All you have to do is go to oxfordgames.co.uk, enter in the coupon code LAPS15 at checkout. You'll get 15% off your whole order. That's at oxfordgames.co.uk. I cannot believe her mom made Jenga. Now, if you love the laps, and I know this holiday season is tight, but in trying to fund a fourth season of this show, which is, God, four seasons already, we're about 100 bucks shy from making that happen in February. I know it takes a lot of effort to actually pause a podcast and go visit a link, God forbid, and I know many of you won't do it, but if you're one of those few, I hope you'll visit patreon.com slash the laps. That is the address where you can make a small monthly donation and ensure that I don't have to take a break from this show. It can continue uninterrupted. There's a lot of bonuses in it too, from a dozen mini-sodes to a handwritten letter by me, tell you about my week, about whatever's going on in my life. You'll get that and you, you can hang on to it. You can put it in your fridge. You can burn it as an effigy. Patreon.com slash the laps. Make this the best season ever for this little indie that could. That said, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lap Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Cal Jest, and today, we've got the kind of story that is near and dear to me. I have a soft spot for these, I admit, ever since Stand By Me. It's a coming-of-age tale from Ruth and Tosky, and I know that I look back on my childhood, the friendships that stood the test of time, the ones that didn't, and the ones that maybe are to be continued. If you're like me, or Ruth, or I think a lot of people, Early friendships are so vital to who we are, and yet kids become friends for next to no reason. What's the mark of every great childhood friendship? Well, I'll tell you. Proximity. I'm calling this one single-serving friends. See with your ears, this is The Laps. It was a lot of roughhousing. I mean, especially my older brother. He was what I would describe as a demon. He would grab my legs and just start running down the hallway, and it was carpeted. You know, the shirt would go up, I'd get the rug burn on the back, and we'd go around that corner, the kink in the hallway, and my head would just bang on either side of the wall. If I told my mom, who was the one that was home most of the time, she honestly couldn't handle us kids. She was going to doctors, and they would tell her, there's nothing wrong with you, you're okay, but she weighed, like, probably under 100 pounds. But my dad, before she had this surgery, he sat us down and told us, "Um, yeah, your mom might die. She might not make it through this. Ruth's parents aren't big shares. 
Even today, the how and why of her mother's illness isn't really talked about. You know what? I've asked her so many times what, you know, what was wrong with you? And it's always kind of a roundabout explanation. So I don't really know. To be honest, because I think my mom wasn't a big influence in my life, and my dad was, and then I've got these two brothers, that was what I identified with. Boys. You know, a lot of the reason that I hung out with the boys in the neighborhood is because my older brother was there. I was usually the only girl, and it was all boys. And we played this one game in particular, and I can't, it's so politically incorrect now, but it was the 80s, right? It was called Smear the Queer. There was this guy that I had a crush on in the neighborhood. Whoever was the queer, you just beat him up. That was the game. It was terrible. It was his turn to be the queer, and I was forced to sit on top of him and start punching him like in the face, and I remember feeling really bad about it. But everybody's standing around, like, cheering me on. Meanwhile, on the other end of the cul-de-sac, the neighborhood bachelor is getting hitched. Soon, the street is flushed with three more kids. Hi, wilts a voice from above. I'm Tanya. Ruth looks skyward. She was, I would say, voluptuous. And then there was me, just completely flat-chested, looked like a boy. Ruth's only in the sixth grade. This girl, Tanya, this woman, she's in high school. 10th grade. So she seemed like an adult. Being the only other girl among the gaggle of boys, Tanya plucks Ruth from the crowd. Tanya's made up her mind. Mm Mm-hmm. They're friends now. I think her mom might have been the type where she was worried that she was going to get pregnant and, you know, she thought she was doing the right thing by controlling her. She was just really in trouble all the time, constantly in trouble. I don't really know all the specifics of it, but I I bet a lot of it had to do with boys. She wrote letters while she was in school because she was oftentimes grounded. So she would like give them to her younger brother and he would give them to me. It was a lot of secret keeping and what do I do with all these letters with all these secrets now written out? And they were adult secrets too. You know, to me, they were just like, oh my gosh. She kissed this guy. Don't tell anybody. If you tell anybody, to be honest, she was kind of high maintenance. Then our friendship is in jeopardy. She always wanted me to write back to her, and she was very demanding that way. I remember her always calling me a booger. You're a booger. Write me back. You're a booger. And I didn't. She was definitely at home more than she probably wanted to be. And she would do things like sneak out of the house. At first, Los Angeles police thought that the murder of a young woman last March was an isolated act of violence. But since then, they've come to believe it was connected to a wide-ranging series of assaults by a killer who's become known as the Night Stalker. A killer who apparently struck again during the all over the news. This is a big thing. from Nadine Berger. This was 85. Our house was probably built in the 60s. Um, so there's no central air conditioning. And so in the summer, you either had one of those window air conditioners or you just left your windows open to cool off and when you were sleeping. He would come in through open windows. My dad went out and he bought these little metal that go on your windows so that they can't be opened. And he put those on all the windows and we had to leave our windows closed. Tammy would come to my window sometimes and 
she would knock on my window and wake me up and try to get me to sneak out with her. I forgot to tell her that we were all sleeping in the family room. She came one night and was, I guess, knocking at my window and my dad was on his way to bed. He sees her at the window knocking and trying to get in and I think that's when the jig was up. She ran off and jumped the fence and went home, but I think that's when he sort of thought, okay, that girl's supposed to be at home in bed. To be honest with you, I didn't ever want to sneak out. It was always sneaking out and then going and putting notes on her boyfriend's car or something or meeting up with him and walking around. And I didn't really care to do that, especially that summer because the Night Stalker was out. Bruce's older brother, he's mucking around in his bedroom when he loses something out the window. His bedroom was right next door to mine. They both faced the side of the house that never got mowed. And he was looking around for it and... Oh, what have we here? As soon as he grabbed it, I knew it was the night that Tanya came to the window and he starts reading it aloud. She's talking about my secrets. She's talking about hers. Like, oh, I met up with Mike, and we did this and that. And, you know, then my mom is standing right there, and I'm thinking, well, she's going to think I'm like that, too. He's reading aloud the name of the crush that I like. I was just devastated. I just remember bawling. It's going stop. Stop reading it. In case you haven't picked up on it, Tanya's a little preoccupied with boys. And hey, nothing wrong with that. It's not her interest in boys her parents need to worry about. It's her interest in men. Yeah, that's an ice cream truck. Tanya was in 10th grade, but he was more than willing to flirt with her. He was a bit of a grizzled character, definitely in his 30s. Tanya would wave him down and he'd stop, and then she'd get on the truck with him and start flirting with him. She'd be up there talking to him, and, and he'd be laughing. She, she felt like she could handle herself, and she did. I remember thinking, what are you flirting with these guys for? They're kind of like, they're older, and they're not the cream of the crop. When the carnival came to town, I think must have been the summer of 85, she would flirt with the carnies. This one guy in particular, I don't know what his name was, but he and her, they had something going on. I wasn't necessarily involved in the whole conversation and their romance or anything, but it was really hot that day. The first thing I did was get this massive, like a big gulp of Coke. It was huge. And I was kind of scrawny for my age too. So this was a lot of Coke for me. We're sitting across from where this guy that she likes is operating this little kitty ride. And she's flirting with him and I'm not really paying attention. And then she nudges me and says, let's go. He's going to give us a free ride. So I get up and I finish my Coke really quick. And we walk over, we get on the ride. Now I'm on the inside, closer to the machinery. She's on the outside where she can, you know, talk and flirt with this guy who's operating the ride. The ride itself sits two per car. Extending from the center on Ruth's side, a mechanical arm connects their car to the rest of the network. The ride spins, the kids laugh, everyone has a jolly good time. So he pushes the buttons. There's a couple other people on the ride too. We just start going in a circle.
five minutes later, I realize he's giving us an extra long ride because she's flirting with him, and I'm getting more and more nauseous. Suddenly, that Coke doesn't seem like such a good idea. Uh, okay, just don't throw up, just don't throw up. Uh-oh. Sure enough, I did. I threw up everywhere, all over my legs. There was no food in it or anything. It was just pure black goo. Not that anyone seems to notice. At least not at first. Tanya's still flirting with the bloody Carney. But she looks over and she sees what's on my legs and she waves to her little boyfriend and he stops the ride. He comes over, he calls some of the other Carnies over. I haven't said that I've thrown up. A lot of them, Tanya included, are rather perplexed. I thought that it was obvious. Suddenly I'm starting to realize they don't think that it's barf. They think it's something else from the ride. Hmm. They're all taking a swipe with their finger off my legs and smelling it and sniffing it. Yeah. They're thinking it's oil. It like oil. They're all giving their hypothesis. Well, yeah, it looks like oil to me. Yeah, definitely oil. One guy takes a swipe and tastes it. And I was... <laughs> I was floored. Like, oh, he's going to know for sure. No, he didn't know. Well, where, do you see where it came from? <laughs> I have no idea. I point to the machinery that I'm sitting next to. Like, I don't know. It just came out of there. It just squirted out. They shut down the ride. They start taking it apart. I guess now that's what he thinks oil tastes like. I could tell that she was kind of annoyed that I had ruined her romance for the day. We walk home so I can get cleaned up. And I remember just thinking, you know, when I first barfed, I thought, I can't come back here anymore. I can't ride the Gravitron. That night, my younger brother and I come back to the carnival. I look over. They've still got that kitty ride torn apart, and they're working on it. The whole thing shut down, and there's two guys working on it, trying to figure out what's wrong with it. Never even told Tanya. She had no idea kept that little secret to myself. We actually moved after that. That would have been in the summer, and we probably moved a couple months later. My parents lost their house. My mom was sick. The doctors were telling her there was nothing wrong, so she was going to all these um, alternative doctors that insurance didn't cover. This went on for years. Suddenly, I'm in. I'm the new girl in school, about an hour and a half away. She still sent me letters after that, and I was writing back. I'm sure at that point, but probably not as much as she was writing me. I think, though, that our friendship, even though I was pretty reluctant to begin with. I guess I was kind of an easy audience, and I went along with stuff. I was non-combative, so she would put makeup on me and do my hair. And even though I was really uncomfortable, it didn't felt like me afterwards, after she would do me up. You know, it was still the first time anybody had really ever done that. She would show me all her dance moves. This was all very secretive because I was not allowed to be dancing to Madonna. 
especially the type of dancing we were doing. She would learn these dance routines. I would go over to her house. You know, it was pretty seductive type dancing for a sixth grader. She shaved her legs. I felt her leg and was like, wow, that feels so smooth. So I would secretively go into my parents' bathroom, get my dad's razor, and do like one strip at a time. So I was in sixth grade. I think that was pretty young to start shaving your legs. But I did like one strip and then I'd leave it, you know, and oh, that feels kind of smooth. That's so cool. And then, you know, the next day I'd go in and do like another strip. And so eventually I had shaved legs and that was all hard doing. (laughs) Even though it was probably a little too old for me at the time, it was more like a big sister where she was showing me these things, you know, where, I mean, who was going to teach me that? My mom didn't. It was her, and I didn't have that. I wouldn't have had that influence, I don't think, for years to come. I was kind of her guinea pig, I guess, you know, like the little sister that was young enough that I still looked up to her, and I think maybe she liked that. I thought she was cool. I thought she was an adult and listened to what she said. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever really thought about that, you know, why she hung out with me. The neighborhood that we lived in was poorer than the rest of the neighborhoods around there. I can't remember what high school she went to, but she probably would have been somebody who stood out as not having a lot of money. Because they just moved there, she would have been the new girl. And because she was Hawaiian, she probably stuck out because she wasn't white. I didn't know if she was cool or... If she was an outcast, you know, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. So it was a clean slate. Two years later, eighth grade, Ruth's dad pastors at a church about 20 minutes outside their old hometown. I was with all my church friends and we were all going out to eat. The youth group in my church was like two years older than me as well. And so I was hanging out with them. Leaning against her car in the middle of the parking lot is Tanya. Got out and, you know, hugged and everything. And I think she berated me about not writing her. And there, in the backseat of the car. She had had a kid at that point. So, says Tanya, what you up to, booger? I don't know that I was in. Embarrassed, but I guess I didn't want to be like, this is, this is my friend and I'm like this. I think she thought, hey, look, I've got a kid and this is pretty cool. Let's hang out and let's reminisce. But it's one thing to show me dance moves and how to put on makeup and how to do my hair. And it's another thing to be like, I'm a mom and I'm only a couple years older than you, four years older. I'm going out to eat with these people. Like, that's something that's new for me. You know, I'm doing older stuff, going out to eat without parents. I wasn't mature enough to be that supportive friend in her time of need in this adult issue that she had. That was too big. It might have been. It might have been the last time I saw her. I think she wrote me after that. 
and told me how upset she was that I just took off. I didn't hang out with her that day and that it was rude and mean, and she was right. We ran into each other on Facebook. I think she might have had an addiction problem at some point and was in an abusive relationship with the guy that she had the baby with, I think. She had cleaned herself up. She's married again to another decent guy. Me leaving her that day after she showed up at church and I, I left and went off with my friends, maybe she thought that was me saying I'm too good for you. I'd grown up and thought I was too good for her now. My dad actually just died recently. We had the funeral down there, and I invited her to it, and I was hoping that she would come. She knew my family and my dad, but she didn't. I don't blame her. I didn't really expect her to come, but I thought it would have been nice to see her again. To be honest, if we did get together, I think that it might be awkward. It probably would be awkward. Like, we wouldn't have a lot in common, and um, I'm sure we could find some common ground, but yeah, it would be a more of a strain. But there were some good things that still came out of it, you know, because I did need that sort of mentorship, the female mentorship that she gave to me and kind of looking out. But yeah, our lives did kind of go in different directions and we probably wouldn't have a lot in common now besides our past, which really was a small portion. It was like maybe a year. When you're older, you can be sympathetic and you can be like, okay, things happen in your life. I wasn't there. You know, I don't, everybody goes through stuff. I was still very much a kid. That story, again, was shared by Ruth and Toski. There's a whole lot Ruth and I actually talked about, a lot of miscellaneous moments that just sort of stand on their own. It's it's actually a pretty funny, uh, very, I think, insightful conversation into into childhood. Here, check this out. So eventually I had shaved legs, and that was all her doing. (laughs) (laughs) I just love this image of, like, the... It's just like... It's like a, I don't know, if you're buying carpet or something, you've got, like, the, the different, like, links. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was like. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, you, once you start shaving your legs, you have to keep doing it. But... If you'd like to listen to the uncut interview, that'll be up for the show's supporters at patreon.com slash thelaps. Ruth's childhood, a bit into my childhood, I think you guys will enjoy it. Speaking of which, thank you so much to this month's executive level patrons, David McCaw, Rob Holcomb, Haley Boros, Cindy Krines, Matthew Gibson, and Jennifer Cherney. If you have a story to share, get in touch with me. Give me a shout. Just basic idea of what it is you think you want to talk about, where you think your story starts, where you think it ends, if it has indeed ended. You can find me at storiesatthelaps.org. You can also follow me for updates on the show itself and occasionally my life on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Laps Podcast. Oh, and hey, if you haven't left a review on iTunes or, or Stitcher or whatever it is you listen to the show on, do me a favor, leave a review. That actually bumps us up in the rankings, gets us more listeners, and that means more episodes for you guys. So please do it if you haven't done it. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>